Welcome in Rose City to another edition of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. Uh, it is a rainy afternoon here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we're, we're starting you off with a weather report here, uh, which I know Chris Reifer is a big fan of. Absolutely. I was at, so this this occupied the majority of my thoughts on my dog walk this morning. Uh, where, you know, I mean, I was just thinking y- yesterday was beautiful, right? We're recording on Thursday. Wednesday was like gorgeous, uh, 70 plus degrees, sunny most of the day, delightful. And it's just like, it feels like the spring we get like one day of that. And then immediately it's just like hammered, uh, by, by rough weather. It's been, uh, it's been a Charlie Brown Lucy situation, uh, <laughs> for us so far this spring. Oh yeah. I fell for it too. I was running straight up for the football and then, uh, then she pulled it back. Yeah, I like went for a run yesterday in like short sleeves. I was like, all right, this is like, we're there. And then last night I looked at the weather for the next few days and I was just like, oh, absolute brutality. (laughs) You you know, you always get faked out every spring in this state, but yeah, uh, we we have not been faked out so many times as we have in in the month of April and May uh, where you get you get a day or two. Yeah, I think the 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 unusual thing about this, it's been it's been so, you know, from a macro perspective, a wet spring for uh for portland um which is saying something because springs here are usually fairly wet but what we haven't really had and that we usually do is sort of like a prolonged stretch of nice weather um where we have you know a week or so of it being pretty nice and then we get hit hit again by the by the you know more typical spring weather um instead it's been like you get 12 hours (laughs) of nice weather like this is all you get (laughs) make the most of it and then we're just right back into it uh, so, you know, we had the window yesterday, uh, today and the next several days, not looking great. Not yeah. looking, my socks are still drying from, from the dog walk. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to be in the same boat with my dog walk, uh, later today because it's going to be consistent this rain. Yes. So, yes, yes. um, speaking of consistent and, uh, you know, consistency all around. Yeah, right it's consistent. Yeah. Not necessarily always the good kind. Yeah, there, <laughs> but there's consistency con- all around. <laughs> for both clubs here in PTFC are the clubs that we cover. Um, there's been some consistency. You you look at the Thorns first. Uh the Thorns beat Can- Kansas City 3-0 uh on Saturday. Uh real consistent uh full performance, the the best one, I think. Full comprehensive performance that um you know, showcased what they are capable of under Reen Wilkinson, I think. And that was having played the first half without Hina Sugata, without Sophia Smith, uh, and they looked damn good. They they were uh, aggressive on their runs. Morgan Weaver was as aggressive as I've seen her uh, since the even the Challenge Cup started. Uh, Sink is still who she is, uh, leading the way and, and defying expectations for a veteran player. Um, She's tremendous. Um, everybody else filled their roles well. Uh, I thought Sam Coffey was excellent in the midfield. Uh, and then you you bring two subs on at half who who are recovering from being in the COVID protocols. Uh, and there's Sophia Smith, a superstar, and Hina yeah. Sugata, who has proven to be an emerging superstar. An, an emerging superstar, exactly. Um, and, and her first touch, Sophia Smith goes out there s- five minutes in and and nails an absolute beauty uh, from just inside the box. I mean, she's just she's incredible, such such a star. So you know, I, I was really impressed with the Thorns on Saturday and think that um, this this could be a catalyst for a strong start to the to the season for them. 
You know, and there are a few things to say about it. Uh, I mean, I, I share your comments about the game entirely. Comprehensive, really impressive performance uh, against a Kansas City team that's been pretty darn good uh, so far in, in in the Challenge Cup. I, I did not walk into this game thinking this was going to be, you know, a walkover like it ended up being. Um, and it was uh, against a, a KC team that's been pretty good. Now, it's uh, important to note, KC was missing a few pretty critical players. So, you know, I mean that, that it, this was not sort of full fledged KC, but look in the first half, a first half that the thorns completely and utterly dominated. They were also without their two best players. Um, and, and the thorns were the only team on the field. Uh, so I think, I mean, I, I think some of those questions that we had sort of at the end of the challenge cup, uh, based on the second half against San Diego, uh, and then, and then, you know, I don't think we were asking too many questions, uh, based on the loss down in angel city, simply because of the, the, the personnel availability for that game. Um, but you know, I mean, if there was any uncertainty coming out of, uh, out of, you know, those three halves of soccer, uh, that were a little bit rougher, good. It's gone. Goodbye. Um, uh, this is, I, I mean, I, I, we, we've talked about this before. I've said this before, uh, on the podcast, uh, I have a hard time being more impressed, uh, with what Reen Wilkinson has done over the course of, you know, these last couple of months, um, in getting a team that, that, that is really significantly reformulated, um, from being from a really good team last year. Uh, they basically completely reworked the engine room, um, they uh they have uh new and different players and rotating players uh in numerous positions across the field and far more often than not they have looked excellent um and this is all with a new coach and a new gm uh this is a very very different team and it's a very very different club in front office than it was a year ago uh, and it, and I mean, you've got to say Karina LeBlanc, you've got to say Reen Wilkinson have hit the ground, not just running, but like sprinting. Um, uh, and so, you know, uh, I, I think some of the sort of initial stumbles straight out of the block that people saw and talked about a lot. And I talked about a lot, uh, are, could not be further <laughs> back in the rearview mirror. Uh, they have, they have absolutely crushed the first couple months of, uh, of, of this experience, you know, the, the only other thing I, I wanted to note and that I was kind of thinking about as, as Smith just came on and put the nail in the coffin mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, of the game is like, it's when you watch something like this, it's worth taking a step back to enjoy it because what you're seeing with Sophia Smith is you're seeing a star go supernova. Um, you're seeing somebody who was a really talented, promising young player turn into one of the best players in the world in front of your eyes in American soccer in particular, that's super rare. Yeah. Oh, I mean, when you, you know, I mean, we see it on the women's side, certainly much, 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 much more than on the men's side. Um, but it's rare. I mean, it's rare to have a player with your club sort of so visibly going through that transition. Uh, and it's super duper fun. Uh, I think that's the technical term for it. Super duper fun. Um, and so like, and so as, as you're watching this, as we're all watching this over the course of however long it lasts, and you know, I expect Sophia Smith to be a, an unbelievable player for a long time, but this might be about the most fun phase of it, uh, where, you know, the, (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're realizing over and over where the ceiling isn't, 
Um, and that's, that's pretty cool and pretty fun. So, so enjoy it. I certainly am enjoying the heck out of it. Uh, I can't wait to, 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 to continue watching it. Yeah, no, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this season, what she's able to achieve and, and how, um, how this team fares, you know, because, um, they raised that, that banner. They, they were the team with the best record in NWSL last season. So, they were the odds on favorite to, to win the whole thing this year coming in. Um, and yet there, there was this uncertainty. You, you talk about the, um, reorganizing the, the change in, in coaching staff, the change in the front office. Um, despite that, despite them being the odds on favorite and being the class of the NWSL, um, people weren't sure, you know, what it was going to look like. Um, and Sophia Smith kicked the dang door down. I mean, she she showed up and and is kind of this this banner person for um for the club now. Obviously, Christine Sinclair is a legend and will continue to be the undisputed leader of this team. Um, but Sophia Smith is the star now, and and so um, this is something fun to watch because you don't really get this, as you said, in in American soccer. Um, terribly often, uh, and and seems the only time you are getting it um, is in NWSL, uh, and and there are young stars throughout the league who are coming up and and showcasing themselves for the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, in addition to Sophia, I mean you, um, Trinity Rodman, I, you can you can go across the league and you can name you know half a dozen players over the course of the last few years for whom that's been the case. Lindsey Horan, I think, to some extent, did that in Portland. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and and they're. Um, there's a wide range of talent in the league. Uh, but, but I, I look a- around the league, I, I see these, um, top level teams and, and Portland still seems to be the, the one that stands above them at this point, you know, and, and that's obviously a big statement to make early in the season. Uh, there are good teams that can give Portland a run for their money, uh, way down the line once we get to the playoffs and, you know, health is something that you have to take into account. Sure. Um, consistency, uh, the the grind of of the length of the season and and jumping between international windows and etc. Um, but you know, I I it's hard to be more uh, excited if if you're a Thorns fan right now than than what you're seeing kind of bubbling up to the surface uh, with this squad. Yeah, I mean, both in terms of individually with with Smith and in terms of the team, if you'd have told me a couple of months ago that this is how it was going to go, I don't know if I would say I wouldn't believe you, but I would be like pretty close to not believing you. I would certainly be like delighted uh, that this is how it how how it's gone. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I, I I think that it's it's difficult to to say um, that it could have gone significantly better. Yes, you know, I mean they they. In an ideal world, they would have advanced through uh, to uh, to the semifinal of the Challenge Cup. The rain getting eliminated last night in penalties was kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, since, since there hasn't been a lot of Portland, Seattle, Schadenfreude recently, that was a, just a nice little like sliver that we got. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they, the rain are not happy about that. Uh, that can be that we can save that conversation for another podcast. Uh, but uh, but look, I, I, you know, I mean, in an ideal world, that result would have gone a little bit better. I mean, the, uh, of, of course, you know, maybe they pull out a better result here and there. But like, I mean, from the 10,000 foot perspective, you got to be delighted. Uh, and uh, and and, you know, I, I, I think it's also worth pointing out that there are a lot of 
I don't want to say unsung because I think some of these players are sung to some extent, but maybe undersung uh, players who who have really sort of stepped up for the Thorns, uh, you know, kind of in the same way that Angela Salem did for them last year. Uh, players who have who have really stepped into bigger roles. I think Kofi, who, whom you noted uh, earlier, is certainly among uh, uh, among that crowd. Uh, Morgan Weaver just looks looks like she is taking a step forward from last year. Uh, it hasn't always been totally consistent, but she's been a problem even when she hasn't scored uh, the first half, frankly, uh, against San Diego. The wave had no answer. Yeah, uh, she was just she running was them over. Just yeah. a, a terror uh, down the wave's left side on the Thorns' right side, uh, and and a lot of the Thorns' chances in that in that just prodigious first half uh, were were through her. Uh, and she looks like it looks just like a a, a, a better player uh, as as which is exactly what you hope for uh, from from your young players. And she's not super young, but she's still you know what third year in the league. Um, if I'm counting my years right, which like in COVID times is never anything to take. It's all been one because, big year. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's just been like like time has been suspended, uh, and 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 that is just you know how things have gone. But I mean that's what you hope for. Uh, from a pro who uh, who is still a relatively new pro. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I couldn't have gone a lot better. Who for you is sort of the the undersung uh, thorn of the, of this early season? Um, I, I think she's she's been sung a little bit by by us and, and by some others. But Natalia Kuika, uh, to me, is, is someone who has has really driven a lot of the success, particularly offensively for the Thorns. Um, she, she's someone who has put them in a lot of great positions to score. Uh, she's calm. She's patient. Uh, she does an excellent job uh, setting up her teammates. And uh, she's she's someone who's been consistent and, and aggressive. Uh, you know, Klingenberg gets... Um, gets a lot of love as she should. She's a, she's a veteran leader on this team. Um, but her contributions seem unsung at times, you know, she, she's, she's just a consistent, uh, solid Chara esque presence for, for this team, um, that, uh, I think deserves a lot more credit, even, even though she, you know, is, is someone who the fans love and, and who gets, um, gets her share of credit over the time. You know, it's interesting. Kling's kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting case because she fell out of the net. She was in the national team picture for pretty consistently for a while. Um, went to two world cups. Uh, it, again, memory is like not my strong suit anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, it, but, but I, I think she was a multiple world cup, uh, appearance person, uh, has had, multiple world cup starts. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it, it, but she sort of like fell out of the, the national team about the time that she turned 30, which for some people was too early. Um, so some folks thought that she fell out too quickly and too sort of decisively. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and that, that has, you know, that, that, that has sort of moved her a little bit out of the spotlight. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I, 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 I she, but even all dur- during that time when she sort of moved out of the national team system, she's continued to be really good for the Thorns. At, at times, frankly, there have been stretches where she's been the Thorns' best player. Uh, and, uh, and that doesn't always happen. I mean, how many times in sort of world soccer do you see that when somebody kind of, you know, maybe prematurely a little bit falls out of a national team setup, 
they kind of just fade. Like that's kind of just, just the end of it. And they don't do a whole lot in, in their club career, but I think it speaks to just the professionalism and, and her quality as a player, her quality as a pro and as a person that she for m- multiple years now has continued to just soldier on and be an enormous presence with the thorns uh, and, and be consistent uh, and, and at times just excellent. Um, uh, for, for the Sorens team. So I, I think that's a good shout. The other person that I think is, is really sort of stepping into a leadership role is Kelly Hubley. Um, uh, sort of a friend starter for the last couple of years. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, frankly, even this year when everybody's healthy, it's not clear if she's going to be a starter, you know, Becky Sauerbrunn comes back, uh, Emily Mengus has been, you know, you want to talk about another thorn who has just been a Chara like fixture presence. Um, I mean, that's, that's Emily Mengus, uh, for the thorns and, and, and another player who hasn't been sung an awful lot over the course of her career, but yet who has been an absolute, you know, in pin starter for, I'm going to go ahead and say it because I'm allowed to be a little bit of a Homer, the league's best team over the course of, of nearly a decade now. Um, and and Emily Mengus has been in the lineup basically all the time. Yep. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, you've got Mengus, you've got Sauerbrunn. Uh, I, I don't need to talk about Sa- Becky Sauerbrunn's credentials on this podcast uh, because everybody listening uh, knows. And if you don't, learn, Google it or something. Learn something. <laughs> yeah, like, Google it or something. Use the internet uh, for something positive. Yeah, yeah, learn yeah, learn some information. <laughs> uh, yeah. If, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast, but you don't know who Becky Sauerbrunn is, a, I'm shocked. Um, B, I'm not sure what parts of the internet you've been, you've been, you know, you've been in, <laughs> and 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 uh, and 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 toiling around. But like, go to different ones. Uh, <laughs> and but yeah, and, and so you've got these two. There are questions about whether they're going to play with two center backs or three. But Hubbley is has not only shown herself to be a good player, which she is, she also seems to be taking on a leadership role within the club. Um, and I'm not sure, frankly, how, how you take her off the field, uh, when everybody's healthy and when everybody's, uh, back fit and in form. Um, and, and, and so I, I, you know, we started to see signs of that. That's not exactly breaking news. Uh, but it's certainly something that has continued over the course of, uh, of, of the, this early season. And I think that uh, that really speaks to to the depth of the team too, um, across pretty much every position. Um, this is a team that that you are not concerned about really any of the substitutes that you're going to have coming in when when you're fully healthy, uh, and and you still have Crystal Dunn to to add into the mix too when you're talking about that uh, that backside. So it's it's really um, it's exciting. We've talked about it, and, and we can we can gush and rave all season long about how exciting it is. But um, these type of teams and these type of opportunities do not show themselves terribly often. Um, you're t- you're talking about veteran, established players who uh, make up the core, young, supremely talented players who are coming into their own just at the right time, and then a mix of role players who all have. Uh, filled their roles well, and there hasn't been an individual really that you could point to uh, throughout the Challenge Cup uh, and this first game of the season to say, "Hey, they might be one of the the big problems uh, in this lineup, and and the Thorns need to fix that." Uh, that that is not the case for 
their male counterparts in the Portland Timbers. There are a, a handful of uh, glaring issues um, that, that we can get into. Uh, so, so let's jump into that. Um, <laughs> so once again, uh, this is our, our what's becoming traditional uh, warning that if you're here for the vibes... <laughs> The the good the good vibe section of the podcast has has come to a close. Yes, uh, we we can wave goodbye to the vibes as they uh, disappear on a, on a ship out to sea, uh, because <laughs> <laughs> we are stuck on a deserted island, uh, and there hasn't been a goal in a really long time on this island. Uh, I I can't even find the the posts. Honestly, I don't know where they. They put them. I don't know where we're supposed to be playing, what we're supposed to eat on this island. It's just, I, it's, it's the, the feeling right now among fans is, is almost being trapped in this, uh, no man's land type of situation. Yeah. I mean, the, this is, this is just one of those moments for the, the GIF from Titanic where it's the, you know, it's been 84 years. Uh, that's 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 basically how how Timbers fans are feeling in terms of the last time the Timbers scored a goal. Okay, uh, well, let me let me interrupt you there. Um, yeah. You pronounced it Jif. I think it's got to be a soft G, right? Um. Well, <laughs> like the peanut butter. I mean, no. I mean, but the peanut butter is with a J. But like, but but how many other uh, w- when when you have a G followed by an I in particular, or followed by a vowel? I mean, can you think of other words in in which we have a G I and it's a hard G? Gill, like fish gills. Yeah, okay. Okay, but I'm pretty sure that the the dude that invented the the GIF, which is is my my preferred pronunciation, I'm pretty sure he he came out and said it's not GIF after there was a discussion. I, I don't mean to you know lambast you in a public <laughs> forum for your pronunciation of this word, but um, I I just I, I, I guess think gift, it, yeah okay uh, now now that I'm thinking about it more I'm I, I I'm I think I, I started as a GIF person and then I was convinced to go to GIF. Uh, and I think now, at one time or another, anybody who was on the internet uh, was convinced of it being GIF. I know I was okay. in the GIF camp for a while myself. Okay. So, so I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. happy to go the other way. I think it's I, a journey for all of us. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, so, but so the, the creator of GIFs, the, the, the GIF father, if you will, um, I, I, is it, is it a guy? I shouldn't, I've, I definitely I've, shouldn't, uh, yeah, shouldn't it, assume that it's, it's some programmer dude. Okay. Some programmer dude. So, so we'll go with gift father. Um, mm-hmm. he, he came out and said it's gif. That's my understanding. Yes. Uh, you know, passionate, uh, internet nerd listeners of the pod, please correct us if we're, if I am wrong, um, this is this is the kind of impassioned debate we like to inspire here on Soccer Man in <laughs> Portland. Um, so, <laughs> uh, back to the Timbers, though. I mean, uh, they lost 2-0 to, to Colorado, have not scored in three consecutive games. They have not scored since they were in Vancouver. Yeah, 280-some, two, 87 minutes or something like that now. Yeah, it's... Um, it's which is a lot of yeah. minutes. Like, again, as we talked about earlier, I don't really understand what time means anymore. Um, but that just like strikes me as a lot of minutes. Yeah. It's a long time to, to not put the ball in the back of the net. And you have, you have essentially the same characters, um, available more or less, uh, in, in these stretch of games, uh, with the exception of, you know, missing Blanco 
Uh, and you know, Diego Chara is obviously, uh, I mean, those are important players. <laughs> those are two that, important that, players. That's not nothing, but it no. also doesn't explain, you know, 84 years of not scoring a goal. Right. You know, it, it, it is not, um, it is not the major excuse for why they are not scoring the goals. The, the issues that, uh, exist were present when both of those guys were still healthy and on the field. And, um, you know, I, I, it's hard to imagine a terribly clear solution to these problems other than, you know, just completely, you know, reawakening oneself and, you know, playing with a different sense of urgency uh, because it's been flat, it's been uninspired, it's been um, deeply disappointing uh, and, and it's mostly a, a product of, of personnel up top, but, um, you know, effort levels can, can fluctuate and, and you can kind of see the body language change during the course of games where they're not finding those, um, you know, abilities to, to put the ball on the frame of goal. Um, it's, it's just been a really rough stretch. I think the, the first 20 minutes or so after Diego Rubio got sent off against Colorado should if they're not going off already be setting off alarm bells within the club I mean it took what the Timbers like 20 minutes to even take a single shot not a shot on goal not a goal take it just a shot after they went up a man against Colorado a Colorado team that's been struggling quite a bit coming in um they go down the Timbers go down 1-0 and then they get a gift from Diego Rubio pretty stupidly picking up a second yellow card. And so the the Timbers are just gifted or gifted. Uh, <laughs> Literally just about to make that joke. Oh, uh, they're, they're, they're gifted a lifeline into the game. And it takes them 20 minutes even to manufacture a single shot. And frankly, they, they didn't look. It's not like they were super close during that period. Oh, uh, to, to creating dangerous goal scoring chances. They looked like they were getting their, they, you know, I mean, it's sort of a cliche, but they looked like they were the, the team that was a man down. Yeah. And I, you know, and so I, I think your point about sort of effort levels and buy-in is, is well taken. Oh, um, because that shouldn't be happening. You know, yes. At elevation. I mean, there are all, there, there are always, Things that that tread the line between reasons and excuses that you can yes. uh, that you can that you can roll out, but at the end of the day, that's a game that the Timbers should have been able to pin their ears back and seize control of. That's that's how it goes in soccer. That's why yeah. getting a red card means <laughs> means you have to play down a man. Like that's the whole point. Uh, and they did not. And even you know, in the last ten minutes, when the Timbers you know, were obviously desperate for a goal uh, and they, you know, started to create some opportunities. They weren't great ones. They weren't, you know, better than half chances. Uh, And that's a real problem. And, you know, I agree with him. We've talked a lot about it and I don't really think, (laughs) I don't think people out there need us to talk more about it. I think, you know, when you're listing off the reasons, uh, the, the issues up front are, up there yeah <laughs> our number one right in our inarguably at this point yeah yeah uh, i mean yaroslav and has been bad uh he 
there there is a data based argument to make that he has been the worst consistently starting number nine in MLS this year, um, which isn't a good thing to be. And no. I mean, that's obviously why the Timbers are in the market for another striker, even though, you know, once more gets back, Nijigoto will again be notwithstanding the fact that he's a DP, the backup. And, and so like, that's not a, a controversial thing to say. Um, he's been really, really poor, how poor, you know, you can debate, but I mean, get your own podcast. Uh, <laughs> if you want to debate that again, I don't know. I mean, I mean a podcast is he the worst? versus podcast debate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Is he the worst consistently starting striker in MLS or the third worst consistently starting striker in MLS? Yeah. Who's to say a range oh. you do not want to be in regardless. <laughs> yeah. you know? Regardless. It's not good. Yeah. And, and we don't, you know, when, when we talk about it, obviously he, he is the, the, the linchpin of the issues, but you know, um, he, he is not the only one. He is far from the only one to be underperforming right now. I mean, Yimmy, Yimmy Chara had a strong start to the season and he's relatively been disappeared for the last several games. And, and this is, yeah. And that's, that's an issue that has been kind of the case throughout his time with the Timbers where he's had, you know, three or four game stretches repeatedly where he's been phenomenal, where he's been where he's looked every bit like a $6 million DP. Yeah. I mean, he had two consecutive bicycle kicks to, yeah. at the start of the season. That feels like an eon ago, given how how brutal these last several games have been. To go go back a couple of years, he had like a stretch. I think it was at the end of 2020. But again, you know, time is fake. Um, where he had something like five assists in three games <laughs> or yeah. six assists in three games where he, he was just he was just on another level. Um, and he has had those periods, but he's also had long periods in which he's looked not like a bad player, but like, a you know, more or less average MLS starter. And I think that's basically the, the kind of period he's been in recently. He's not been egregiously terrible. Um, you know, I, I, I don't put him in the, in the Nishgoda category of, is he, you know, one of the three worst starting uh, wingers or, or attacking midfielders in MLS. He's not in that category. Um, but the bottom line is, especially with with Blanco having health issues, which, by the way, there's a pretty good chance that that's going to kind of just be the case for Blanco for the rest of his career, that that he's going to have. Yeah, I mean, that just happens to yeah, guys. Yeah, and, and with his injury history and, and, and what the Timbers were concerned about with his, his re-signing and all of that, which I've seen nothing to indicate that that's just not true, uh, I mean, it, it sounds like there's a there there and just experience tells us that there's a there there uh, from our experience last year after he came back from his his ACL uh, into the into this year. Uh, it, it looks like Blanco is just going to have sort of periodic injury layoffs, and that's just going to be part of his part of part of the deal. Still can be a good player. Uh, when he's on the field, he can still be a good player, but like that's, that's kind of just where it is. And, and frankly, that's why the Timbers didn't want to sign him to a contract in which he'd be a locked in DP because it's hard to have that kind of guy as a locked in DP. Um, but if you're sort of just accepting that as the reality, if you're accepting the reality that, that Santiago Moreno, uh, is still a really young player is still, you know, is in his first, uh, year still playing outside of Colombia uh, is uh, is going to have inconsistencies in periods of ups and downs. If you sort of accept that as, 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 as a fact, 
you need Jimmy Chara to be a consistent, you know, sort of team leading primary attacking option. He can't be a role player. He can't be a role player for the team be. to be good. And he has been. And and while he's been a role player, the team has been bad. Yeah, that's that's been uh, one of the, the primary reasons for the struggles, too. You know, you look at um, other guys who are in, in those positions. Moreno is one who um, started out stronger and, and has faded. Dyrona uh, Spria, you know, I worry in, in some ways. He, he's been a, a, an exciting... Um, fun personality and player for this team for, for a lot of years. Uh, but you look at, at how he's been playing lately and it almost looks like he's over the hill. Um, and he's, he's really struggled to uh, make tangible contributions to, to explode into these, you know, exciting moments that we've seen from him over the years. Um, he, he's just kind of been there, you know, um, and he's been in and out of the starting lineup uh, they've experimented with throwing Marvin Loria in there, uh, and I've liked what I've seen from him. I honestly think that he's. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Loria's been, you know, relative to expectations, probably about the best uh, in uh, in in the attack. Yeah, I think that they should give him more of a look, honestly, uh, and you know, look beyond, uh, you know, people who have earned time uh, with this club, and and you know. Start to give these these young guys a little more run. See what they got, you know. Uh, kick the tires a little bit. Um, see see what they're made of. Uh, because at this point, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And I I won't attribute that to to what they're doing. I think that they have mixed it up in some ways, but. Um, I think they're looking for solutions. They just haven't found. Yeah, they they don't have a lot of them either. You know, that's the thing. Um, I, I think that you know, and this is a good segue to to another topic. Um, I think one of the hopeful solutions that they are pursuing is, is the signing of Fugasa. Um, you know, I was joking last podcast about him being the answer, just because I needed a needed a hot take to dish out. Uh, I. I don't know if I firmly believe that. In fact, I definitely don't. Uh, so, um, but Nathan Fogasa, you know, a Brazilian forward, young guy, uh, played for San Antonio FC last year, scored 13 goals uh, and had four assists in the USL. Um, ha- has shown ability and, and aggressiveness and, and um, you know, Gio likes him. But, you know, you, you look at, what Gio said, and I, I posted the video to to my Twitter. Um, this isn't like you know Gio jumping up and down with joy that he's found the almighty solution to his problem. It's like, yeah, he's another player, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that it's it's Gio's intent to disparage him in any way, but um, that is what it is. You know, Gio's a realistic it would also guy. Be unfair he, to him to to, to put to, those to expectations. To, to, to yeah, bring him in and be like, oh, this guy's going to be the savior. Yeah, this yeah. guy's the answer. Yeah, I, I would not say that uh, that he is the answer. Uh, so let me renege my previous <laughs> previous. In fairness, you had a milder take that I then like like sort of pushed you into calling him the answer. So. Yeah, you morphed me into this you know hot take beast, which I did not wish to be. Um, but Nathan Fogasa, you know, solid enough signing. Uh, they, if they, but the thing is, if they thought he was going to to be this, you know, solution, 
they wouldn't have signed him to T2 initially. They would have just signed him to the first team. Um, I, I know um, based on, on what my reporting in this, um, this was their plan B in terms of uh, what they wanted to do at the striker spot. They had three different options uh, that they sought out uh, under the U22 initiative uh, that Gavin Wilkinson has had said in the stories that I reported on this just got to a point where they were too expensive. Um, and they didn't want to overspend for a temporary solution while they wait for more to get back. But regardless, um, you know, I, I wish the best for Fogasa, but it's like putting a bandaid over a stab wound. You know, it's, it's really not something that's going to change a whole lot in the near term. That's right. Uh, you know, the way I think about this, you sort of compartment. I sort of compartmentalize it into <clears throat> kind of a few different ways of thinking about these things. First, you want the the Timbers to be promoting players from their second team into their first team. That's just, it's a, it's just an important sort of part of kind of pipeline development within the club. Uh, and you want players in the second team to feel like, hey, if they really come in and perform they could get a shot at the first team. And so from that, from that point of view, the Fogasa signing is, is good. Like you want that to be happening with some regularity where, where, where players are, are even in short times with the second team showing themselves when they come in and they show themselves to be of a quality that they deserve a look with the first team that they get it. Um, that frankly has been something that sort of pipeline development has been something that's been uh, that that's been a struggle for the timbers at times. And so from that perspective, I think you see a signing like this or you see a signing like Marvin Loria um, and, and, and those sorts of things. And you say, though, that is good. Um, knowing that not all of those players are going to come into the first team and, and are going to be world beaters. Not all those players are going to, are going to step in uh, and become, you know, so sort of uh, the 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 next of of a number of folks around MLS who have kind of come up through uh, through the lower divisions and been good players, um, but you hope that some of them will be, uh, and and so th- that's the hope with 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 Fogasa. But you know, if you're if you're hoping that Nathan Fogasa is going to light the Timbers' attack on fire, um, I'm not going to say that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a reasonable life. expectation. Yeah. And I don't think that's the expectation that the Timbers are, 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 are putting on him. Now the U 22 signing, I think we were, we were, everybody was hoping that the Timbers could sort of pull a rabbit out of a hat with that. Um, and find somebody who would come in and be sort of an instant impact kind of player. Um, who who could shake things loose in the attack and could give them some much much needed uh contributions up top. But I also think what the Timbers need in that position is sort of misaligned to what you're likely to get out of U22 signings. U22 signings are are much more likely to be like Santiago Moreno or David Ajala who are talented players who you want to bring in, who you want to get comfortable, who you want to develop over the course of a period of time and and not expect them to provide instant results, not sort of put the pressure on them to be an instant starter, but who can grow in the club. I think you want U22 signings to be like Christian Paredes when he was brought in to the club. 
a guy who certainly got some time, who got some run, but also went through some struggles and and has grown into a better player uh, as he's been with the club for a longer period of time. Those are the likely U22 signings. You even think about sort of the the really high dollar U22 signings. We haven't seen a ton of them, but we've seen a few uh, around uh, around MLS. Uh, Talis Magno with NYCFC uh, is, is a good example, um, who have not been instant impact, but t- certainly with respect to Talos Magno is now starting, you know, is a very talented, very well-regarded player and who is starting to show more. That's what you're going to get with U22 signings. And what the Timbers need is they need a striker now. <laughs> I mean, th- their emergency is now with any kind of luck. And, and, you know, there's no reason to think this won't be the case. Uh, Felipe Mora will be back in a couple months. Um, uh, and, and we'll get into, to, to fitness and we'll get into form, uh, over some weeks thereafter, uh, and we'll, you know, be the starting quality striker that he's been. I don't think he's elite. Uh, I think it's reasonable to ask whether Felipe Mora is what the team fully needs to get its attack back on track. Um, but I also think there's very little question that he'd make the situation better. Uh, he would, uh, because he's just a better player than, than Yaroslav Nishigoda is. Uh, and, and we can just say that over the course of what, what we've seen, maybe Nishgoda will, will turn a corner. You always hope that to be the case. Maybe you'll get into form. Uh, certainly I was among the folks who, who kind of said, ah, no, Dirona Spree is never going to be a player. Well, last year he was, and that does happen. Um, and, uh, and, and so I don't, I'm not going to throw dirt on, uh, on, uh, Nishigoda, but he hasn't been good. And Felipe Moore has been better. He's been the better option. That's why he's been more often than not the starter. But the Timbers need something to get him through the next couple months. And I'm not sure a U22 signing is is what is reasonably likely to get them that. I don't think they, I, in fact, I know they don't have uh, the cap space to make a an impact level non-U22 signing right now because they don't have an open DP spot. They don't have the cap space to sign another sort of high TAM kind of guy. Um, without making moves that they're not really able to make now, a because the transfer window has now formally closed. We're recording on the fifth; that closed on on the fourth last night. Um, uh, but also because most international transfer windows have been closed now for some time, and so it's not like it's it's not as easy as just saying we'll just send Nijgoda back to Poland. Well, okay, Europe's transfer window closed like three months ago, <laughs> so yeah. that ship sailed a while back. Um. Uh, and and so until they're able to make some of those moves, and I think they should really strongly consider moving Nishgoda on in the summer and making another sort of impact signing with that DP spot, maybe even at the number nine spot. If the Timbers want to get serious about going out and getting sort of a real DP level number nine, which to be very clear is a high seven figure or low eight figure investment Yep, in MLS right now. That's just that. I mean, if you want to compete in MLS that's the kind of guy you need to be looking at with your DP spots because the, the two and a half or $3 million or three and a half million dollar transfer fees as strikers aren't DP strikers anymore. Um, at least they're not for, for teams in the top third of the league. Yeah. The league is elevated in that way. Yeah, totally. And, and, and if you're, you know, I mean, this was one of my criticisms of the niche go to signing in, in the first instance, I don't think in, you know, 2019 or 2020 or 2022 MLS, a DP striker makes sense at three and a half million dollars, at least if you want to compete. 
you know, I mean, yes, once in a while, a team will find a diamond in the rough uh, or will develop a guy like New England has with Adam Buxa, but there are a lot more Yaroslav Nijgodas at that price point in MLS than there are Adam Buxas. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a good argument for the Timbers uh, looking to make that kind of a move sooner rather than later. Um, but they didn't have the ability to do it now. And the reason why I, in some ways sleep easier with a signing like Nathan, rather than going out and and reaching for a U 22 guy right now is where the Timbers have gotten themselves in trouble in the transfer market is when they've reached to make signings that didn't quite fit. Right. Yeah. Better to leave that option open. Yeah. Lucas Milano, Milano, Yaroslav Nishgoda. Um, Yaroslav Nishgoda was not a signing that they needed to make. Yaroslav Nishgoda was not a signing that fit well into a hole in the roster. They had Jeremy Obasi. They were close. uh, And they all, they brought in in that same transfer window, Felipe Mora. Look, if the Timbers had signed Felipe Mora and said, Mora and Obasi, you are our two strikers compete for the starting spot. The other one of you is going to get a lot of playing time uh, and, and, and have at it. That would have made a lot of sense. And by the way, we're going to use that DP spot somewhere else. <laughs> that would have made a lot of sense. And that that looks good, definitely, in hindsight now, given how Obosi is playing for San Jose. So, yes. Yeah. As as literally everybody on Twitter <laughs> in the, in Timbers land uh, continues to remind themselves and, you know, twist the knife into their own stomachs. Yes. It's, it's just, yeah, it's tough to, to watch somebody like that succeed elsewhere when you have a glaring need at that exact position. Although I think it it does not bode well for the near future and it raises reasonable and kind of scary questions for the near future. Um, I think there is a pretty straightforward argument that not reaching for a U 22 signing at number nine in this window is, is a wise move and, and, and avoids some of the pitfalls that, that, that where the Timbers have gone wrong in the past and they haven't always gone wrong in the past. They've gotten a lot of things, right? Um, but where they've gone wrong in the past, this not making this move avoids some of those patterns that we've seen where they have. Right. And I I think that there is uh, an expectation generally for there to be a, a good number of, of moves made this summer. Um, you know, it's, it's a wait and see thing, which, sucks when you're playing poorly um and you know timbers fans may not be terribly happy about the next few months because it could be more more of the same you know they they get the occasional uh victory when when they play up for a game um but we might we might see more of what we've seen these last three games too in fact i i can almost guarantee we will uh in yeah. in some stretches just given given what they have to work with what geo has to work with at this point um and that's, that's going to Gio, be frustrating. Yeah. Gio is a coach, and I think we've said this before, but Gio is a coach. One of his strengths is he is a coach who's found a way. Yep. Um, repeatedly in the past. And so, you know, I, I think the the expe- I share your expectation that that there are choppy seas ahead. Um and and that there are likely to be more performances, unfortunately, like we've seen in the last few weeks, which have been frankly hard to watch. Um but Gio has also found a way in the past where I didn't think there was a way to be found. Um, yeah. So I also don't want to don't want to throw dirt on that. I, absolutely, I think he's he's well respected. I think that he's a, a good locker room guy in terms of being a coach. Uh, he uh, relates well with his players, and and um, you know sometimes he hasn't gotten the best out of them, but um, but I think that he has the ability to do so. 
so it, it's not all doom and gloom necessarily. I think there are definitely choppy seas ahead, as you said. But um, I think that there's a potential um, light at the end of the tunnel in the form of multiple moves this summer, which could elevate a team that's you know hovering in the the lower uh, the middle of the lower tier of the Western Conference that could elevate them into the playoffs and you know. MLS is all about who gets hot at the right time, right? You, you look at last year as a perfect example. Portland was a team that got hot at the right time and made a run to MLS Cup. And, you know, we're talking about all of these problems with the Timbers, but they are a few penalty kicks away from being the reigning MLS Cup champs. They've made three cup finals in seven years. Yeah, and that's, like that's-, that's a level of success that most <laughs> clubs do not have. There are, yeah, I mean, there are only four or five teams in MLS who over the course of the that window, which is most of a decade, it's not like, you know, it's not a, 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 a snapshot in time. There are only three or four teams in MLS who wouldn't trade their track record for that. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we talk and we rightfully talk about, about the things that are going poorly. It's important to keep that perspective, um, that, that. The, in terms of the the Timbers track record over the course of, I mean, even most of the last decade, basically since 2013, they're a top five team in MLS with like no questions asked. Definitely. And um, that that's something to keep in mind in terms of the moves that have been made too. you know, um, I, I think that, you know, Gavin Wilkinson is someone who who has made mistakes in terms of the, the moves that he's made to, to sign different players over the years. Which but, gives them something in common with every human in the world. Yes, literally ev- every single GM in and, and, MLS. And, and to be clear, we're, we're, to be clear, <laughs> we're talking now about sort of the on-field stuff, setting aside uh, the, the 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 matters off the field, uh, so as not to sort of wade into a conversation unintentionally. We're talking about sort of the the technical moves that the Timbers have made. Yes, yeah, strictly roster moves. I mean, it, it, he also has made some great ones, and and. Um, he combined with Merritt Paulson have identified individuals over the years who um, have become, you know, revered club players, you know, Diego Chara and, and Diego Valeri to two people who have made history with this, with this club. So, you know, you don't want to get too caught up in the past and, and like, remember the good old days type of stuff with, with the timbers, but (laughs) you have to look at it five months ago. Yeah. It was literally time is fake, but it's like five months ago. I know. Yeah. We, we can't, you know, the internet creates this, you know, facade that we're all just living in the exact moment that we happen to be looking at the screen that we have in front of us, right? That everything that happened before and everything that's going to happen after does not exist. It's how do I feel right now and how angry am I uh, at the current state of affairs? Um, I think it's important for people to have a broader perspective, for sure, when it comes to, to sports teams. Um it's almost like you know you look at the Trailblazers, and and if you were to to live in that mindset with the way they played down the stretch of the season when they were tanking, you'd be like, <laughs> oh, oh my god, my you life think the is miserable. Have problems, yeah, <laughs> or, or hard to watch right now. <laughs> yeah, just be be glad that the the Timbers aren't like you know trotting out their versions of like CJ Ellaby and Kelgen Blevins, right? It's this isn't this is a team that is deeply imperfect, but it is not you know in the cellar. Okay, so th- there are absolutely problems that need to to be addressed, but 
it is not the end of the world. Um, you you, yeah. you want to live in the moment. You need to be able to react to the moment, but you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. Oh, and and you know, I I think all of our comments about the the Timbers' current predicament should be should be viewed in light of that. Oh, so but but you know, I mean, sort of returning to the original point, I agree with you completely that that I would not be surprised if it's a pretty active summer transfer window for the Timbers, and frankly, I think I would be pretty disappointed if it weren't. Oh. I think there are one or two very obvious moves that they need to make. I, th- I, th- I think the right back situation is, is one that they need to address uh, in the summer, barring, you know, I mean, barring somebody like Justin Rasmussen really sort of grabbing hold of that position uh, over the course of the next couple of months. Uh, and I think they, given the way things are, you know, short of Tega, Tega Ikoba or, or Nathan coming in and, and sort of, and sort of capturing a starting level or near starting level role, I think they probably need to really seriously consider make, making a splash signing uh, up top. Uh, but, uh, but you know, simply because they've made some mistakes uh, on, on this front in the past doesn't mean that they're incompetent in that regard. They're not. Uh, and if they were, they wouldn't have been to three cup finals in seven years. They wouldn't have won the MLS's, the weird MLS's back trophy. Uh, you know, they wouldn't have the level of success, three Western Conference, you know, would be finishing atop the Western Conference table a couple times in that period. They wouldn't have that success if they were totally incompetent. Right. Um, uh, but that's not to say they, they haven't made mistakes. I, you know, frankly, I think there's a, there's a pretty good argument to make that Yaroslav Nijgoda is the worst big signing they've ever made. Um, and, and was the biggest big signing mistake that they've made bigger, bigger than Milano. Um, and, uh, we can talk about that on another, maybe that's the, maybe that's a conversation for a hot, a future hot take segment to be named and had later. Yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it, it, it is a tough situation, but, um, big picture important to look at. Hey, this is Ryan. You are listening to Soccer Made in Portland. We will be right back after a quick break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. To continue on on the topic of uh, things that feel crappy in the moment, but also wanting to look at big pictures is, uh, you know, Seattle uh, in the CCL final last night, uh, first MLS team ever to to do it. Um, it hurts, I'm sure, for for a lot of Timbers fans to see that. Um, I'm sure that you know Merritt Paulson, who is someone that has said that he wanted Portland to be the first team to achieve that. I'm sure he's pissed about it. Um, but at the same time, obviously it's a good thing for major league soccer, uh, for a team like that to elevate itself to that level. Uh, but Timbers fans don't want to hear that. They're, they're like, why is that not us? And, and so my, my question for you is, is what, what's it going to take? Is it going to happen in these next few years for, for Portland to, to reach that, level of, of being um, viewed in the way that Seattle is and, and having the ability to fill its trophy case in these other different ways. I have a couple thoughts 
on this, and I'll I'll start with the positive and move to the negative, uh, as has been the course of this entire podcast. It's sort of a podcast within a podcast uh, <laughs> <laughs> right now, um, a nesting doll of podcasts, if you will. Yes. Uh, the, the positive response is, I don't think the timbers are that far off, and this really isn't a different point than the one I just made, which is the timbers are one of the MLS teams that is consistently competing for trophies. They excel in uh, in sort of tournament-like situations. Uh, and, you know, if you were to, if you were to list, what, there are 30 teams in the league. If you were to list the top 10 teams in the league who you think are capable of of winning a trophy like CC, like the like the Conca Champions, the CONCACAF Champions League, the Timbers would be one of those teams. And so I I don't think they're all that far off. I don't think this is like you know, we're it, it's not like we're San Jose Earthquakes fans asking this question. <laughs> um and and you need to note that. Uh that 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 you know, the Timbers have qualified for for CONCACAF Champions League twice, three times. Uh and uh and you know, they've they the record in the tournament isn't great. Um, but, but the fact that they're getting in there, uh, and that they're winning other trophies and that they've done so pretty consistently suggests that they're not that far. My second point is because of the timing of when CCL happens, the Timbers have to be a lot better earlier in the season if they want this to be a realistic possibility. Um, because although the Timbers have, have won trophies in, in December, uh, and I guess what was that like July or August, <laughs> uh, they yeah. have not looked like a trophy winning team basically in any month of March, April or May. Um, and so they need to figure out a way to be a better team in the spring if they want to win CCL, because that's, that's when it happens. And that, and as a practical matter, that is when the tournament is going to take place for the foreseeable future. Um, just because of the way MLS's schedule lines up with uh, Liga MX's, and so, uh, and, and and so they need to figure that out. And 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 sort of, I think a related point is I think one of the things that the Sounders have done really well that the Timbers need to find a way to do better is to be able to sort of gr- grow within the club, sort of the consistent backbone of the club. Right. And, and as the Sounders demonstrate, that is, that's both a process that happens domestically and internationally. And the Timbers have done a pretty good job of this internationally. You talk about Diego Valeri, Diego Chara, they have sort of found some guys to be sort of long-term contributors to the club. And that's, I mean, that's why they've been as successful as they have. But what the Timbers don't have and what the Timbers haven't done a good job of cultivating is, is, you know, bringing through and keeping a part of the system and keeping as, as central parts of the system, players like Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan and Alex Roldan and, and, and players like that who, you know, come in at sort of various levels of hype. Morris is obviously very well hyped. Christian Roldan is, is one of the weirdest MLS draft stories in league history because he was expected to be a top five pick. He now looks every bit like a top, like he should have been a top five pick. And for reasons that nobody can explain to this day, he slipped to the Sounders at like 19. Um, and he was on a Generation Adidas contract. He was free. Um, 
any, uh, that was nonsense, utter nonsense, but which is to say, uh, clearly within the league, at least there was some question about whether Christian Roldan was going to be a good player. Uh, spoiler alert. He is, <laughs> um, and then bringing folks like Alex Roldan through starting to bring young players like Obed Argus, who played what 70 minutes last night, uh, in a cup final at the age of 16 in central midfield. Um, that's, that's a thing. Uh, and, and sort of having those kinds of players, uh, that, that who can sort of form the backbone of your club who become because who become, because they've been in the system for a while, because they've been in the club for a while, pretty plug and play who you can count on in early March to be good and there and ready to go. Um, that makes it so much easier to plug in players like Joao Paulo, like to bring in uh, Yamar, to bring in uh, those kinds of guys uh, who then can take the team to to another level, basically whenever you need it. Uh, right. And, you know, it's and, not and so a, it's I think, not a patchwork approach. It's it's a foundational one. It's, that's it's right. Exactly. Having people to to build up the the program, for lack of a better term, through uh, versus you know searching for the the covers to the issues that exist with the the guys and and reaching here and there and and around the world and obviously you should have you know a global presence but um it's a different approach and i think that um, seattle's is one that has has led to a lot of their success and you know i mean to kind of go back to a, a a nautical reference which is a little bit unfortunate because a we've tapped that well a couple times already in this podcast and b <laughs> this is in relation to a sounders game uh, so so this is in some ways a a a an unfortunate metaphor uh but but to the extent that you're trying to build your team almost exclusively through the international market you're very, very often, far more often than not, and maybe almost always, going to be trying to patch holes. And you're going to be trying to make signings to patch holes. And the Timbers are are very much in that position right now. The Sounders, although they've they've certainly had their ups and downs. I mean, look, there's a reason the Sounders got knocked out of the playoffs last year by a team that didn't shoot. They weren't in great form. Uh, and they had some injuries, to be sure. Um, but they weren't in great form. But... It is pretty rare. I can only think of one or two instances where the Sounders are going into a transfer window saying, man, we really need to make some signings to patch some pretty critical holes. Oh, they've more often than, than not been making signings to put them over the top. Raul Rudias was assigning to put them over the top. Oh, Nico Ladero assigning to put them over the top. Uh, and, and, if you, you know, if you're always going out in the in the transfer market trying to patch holes in your hole, um, just to keep the the ship afloat, uh, you're gonna have, you know, you're gonna have a, a, a much more sink or swim. God, this is the worst. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a much more sort sort of sink or swim <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, no, no, you're. I I like the metaphor. Um, you know, it's it's you're not forcing it. I don't think I. I you got to have better material to build your ship, right? I, I need, you know, yeah. you got to, you got to, it's like, uh, in game of Thrones, you know, the, uh, the, in the iron islands, they, they build the best ships, you know, that's, that's kind of just their thing. Right. So, so you could, you know, you could look at Jordan Morris as a Theon Greyjoy type, you know, as, as just a, or, or maybe a, a braver Greyjoy than Theon, but you know, 
I digress. I'm just getting excited because, you know, the House of the Dragon trailer dropped today. The teaser trailer <laughs> looks super sick. Uh, really excited about that. Uh, this is in no way sponsored content. I'm just, you know, really personally excited. Boy, that's all. Just being a fanboy. But, you know, you can build your <laughs> – if you build your ship with, with better material, uh, you're, you're going to have an easier time staying afloat and you, you won't have to plug as many holes. Yep, that's right. Uh, and, and so, you know, I mean, I think the Timbers are in, we've talked about how the Timbers seem to be making some progress on some of this stuff. Um, uh, when you talk about the, the emerging greater success that they're having, uh, at least on the field in the youth ranks, um, uh, that's helpful. Uh, that's, that is the, the kind of pipeline development work that the Timbers, I think it is, it's fair to say are behind on, but now hopefully ha- are, are, are showing some early indications, uh, of getting, of gaining some traction. Um, but I think continuing and building on that, that traction, uh, is, is critical to, to being sort of in the, the conversation for, for competing for trophies like this. Absolutely. Uh, we will wrap it there. Uh, but thank you, Chris, for what is always an enthralling discussion on, on all these topics. Uh, and thanks to everybody for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, uh, say some nice things, or if we think we suck, say some not so nice things. We can take constructive criticism. We're uh, adults. Everything's going to be fine. So uh, thanks again to everybody for listening, and uh, we will see you next week.